I am in the book of the Genesis, chapter number 25. Genesis 25. And I will be reading from the fifth verse. Genesis 25, verse 5. When you can see it, would you say amen? Who was lying? <laughs> I heard a lot of amens, but it's not on the screen. It is now. Genesis 25, 25, verse 5. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. And all the people said, Amen. I want you to notice in our reading that Abraham gave preferential treatment to his son by his wife, Sarah, and that he left everything, everything, his entire estate to his son Isaac, but to the children of the concubines, he gave them gifts and then sent them away. I think some of you are hearing, you're hearing God already. To Isaac, he left his entire estate, but to the sons of the concubines, he gave gifts and sent them away. Today we start a series entitled Kings, Queens, and Concubines. Kings, Queens, and Concubines. Let us pray and let's invite the Holy Spirit to reign on us this afternoon. Let's pray. Sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we are in your amazing presence, basking in the sunlight, the radiation of your grace, your kindness, your provisions and your power. We are inviting you to be the Lord of this moment to reign over us and to reign on us. Reign on us drops of revelation knowledge, of inspiration, of, of power, of optimism, energy, and enthusiasm for a future that is glorious and victorious. Bless everyone under the hearing of my voice and be magnified, exalted, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. So I want to start by saying that the Bible is a book of theology, but it is also a book of psychology. Woo! And if all you ever get from the Bible is theology, then you have missed levels and layers that are designed for your information and edification because the bible is a masterpiece when it comes to psychology to sociology and to economics and what you get out of the bible typically depends on the lenses the spectacles that you are reading through because when we read the bible we start with presuppositions Is that fair to say we presuppose certain things to be true. We presuppose certain things about the book. And therefore, we're reading through filters. And our interpretations are often less a reflection of the teaching and more a reflection of our presuppositions. One of the things that's important to know is that the Bible is as much about you as it is about God that the earliest teaching of the Bible, perhaps one of the earliest, is that man is the image and likeness of God himself. So that when God is telling you something about himself, he is indirectly telling you something about yourself. And the more that you see yourself in the book is the more real the book becomes for you. 
But in order to see yourself in the book, you have to appreciate that this is a book of psychology as much as it is a book of theology. Theology, two words, theos, logos. Theology is the study of God. It's the doctrine of God. And if all you get from the Bible is a revelation of God, you only got part of the story. Because the Bible is also designed to be a revelation of you, to help you understand yourself, and to help you to discover kingdoms, treasure, that are actually hidden in you. So I could approach this subject theologically, but in this series, I'm going to approach it psychologically. And so I'm going to start by making it abundantly clear that I wholeheartedly agree with the theology of Scripture that in this New Testament, monogamy is God's perfect will for everybody. What do I mean by monogamy? I mean one husband, one wife. No concubines. No side chick. No mistress. And no sugar daddy. You're done. Okay? God's plan is husband and wife. And even though there was a permission given for polygamy for many wives that you will read about. There's at least 40 characters in the Old Testament that had uh, many wives. Many of them are great heroes and, and uh, patriarchs of faith. Uh, though there was a provision for this and though there was the permission for additional uh, support in the form of concubines, this was never the intention of God for humanity. If you want to know God's original intention, you have to go back to the beginning. And in the beginning, you do not find God ripping out the whole of Adam's ribcage and creating a harem of women around him. <laughs> okay? You see God taking one rib. <laughs> Lord, help me now. <laughs> He's not ripping out the ribcage. One rib, and he presents to Adam one woman, and the one woman is married to the one man. That is the original intention of God. And you will find permissions in the Old Testament because of the hardness of the heart and because the Old Testament was really a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was... Uh, the journey that would make Christ absolutely necessary for us, uh, then there are things permitted in the Old Testament that are not permitted in the New. There are things permitted in the Old Testament. Sorry to hurt somebody's feelings here today. But there are things permitted in the Old Testament that are not encouraged in the New. They're not supported in the New. They are not endorsed in the New, and they are not permitted in the New Testament. Because the Old Testament was a shadow, the outline, of an object standing in light. A shadow is cast by an object that is standing in light. The Old Testament is the shadow of Christ himself, who is the object standing in light. The Old Testament is a type of which Christ is the antitype. So there are going to be imperfections and incompletions in the shadow that become clear when we see the object who is standing in the light. So I, I needed to say that and to reinforce it and to make it very clear that theologically, uh, we stand with the Bible, with the New Testament, and we want every man in here to keep the vast majority of your ribs protecting your heart. Because if we rip out all of your ribs, your heart is exposed. Now, 
What we must not do as preachers is use theology to disregard the psychology. You do not pitch theology against psychology because truth is truth is truth. And when you find a truth, it will simply be true. And therefore, I see no conflict between God and science because God is the father of all science. He is the omniscient, omniscient God. He is the maker of every system in the universe, whether it is a physical system, a biological system, a ecosystem. God is the father of the system. So when it comes to humanity, God made man, and therefore what's going on in a man's mind is important to God and an important aspect of scripture. And I have never understood why, why I am supposed to be uh, a, uh, an ambassador for Christ whose ministry is reconciling God and men, yet they then send me to a school so I can learn all about God. I, ca I can't see how I can be a bridge between God and men. I can't see how I can bring God and men together if all I know about is God. If I'm going to bring these two worlds together, send me to a school where I can learn a bit about God and a bit about men. Because now I can stand in the middle, I can take a man's hand, and I can take God's hand and say, meet each other. Because I understand you, and I understand you. So I said all that to say that in this permission for wives and concubines, there is an important piece of human psychology. Mm-hmm. Y'all ready for it now? What you will find in the Old Testament is that your wife represents business. Everyone say business. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because the truth is that most of these marriages were arranged between two families. Is that right? And you, the people getting married, barely met. All right, you're introduced to your future wife by your parents and her parents. You're introduced to your future husband by the parents. So it is the parents that have that have negotiated a transaction that they deem to be important to the business of the family, which typically involved children, legacy inheritance, really big ideas and concepts. And quite clearly in the ancient world, there was no ambiguity about roles and responsibilities because your parents raised you to know what your role would be and what your responsibilities would be as a wife or as a husband. So they could introduce you to a total stranger and the two of you could make it work. It's quite interesting that strangers made a marriage work, whereas in the modern world, you're dating for 400 years <laughs> and still can't make it work. You see, in the ancient world, there were no real arguments. They weren't arguing because they already knew what the role and the responsibilities were. And so they came into this with the foundation of an education about the true nature of the relationship and they would make it work, and fundamentally, out of making it work, they would fall in love. They were not in love at the beginning. 
Somebody said, really? I'm just talking about the ancient world. In the ancient, I'm not talking about you right now. I'm just saying in the ancient world. Calm down. We're not going to arrange a marriage for you here today. <laughs> Abraham made his servant swear to him that you will not take from the Canaanites a wife for my son. You are to go to my kin and find a wife for my son. So he went out and found Rebecca, negotiated with Rebecca's family, and brought the two families together, and Isaac is marrying a stranger. But they are kin. Everyone say kin. In other words, there is, there is the compatibility of a of a pre-existing of pre-existing commonalities we are kin there's commonality and but Isaac is still effectively marrying a stranger isn't that right and she may be beautiful to him but she's still a stranger but they understand roles and responsibilities so that as the time goes on isn't this now as the time goes on you will read that that Isaac had to pretend at one stage that Rebecca was his sister because he feared that he would be killed in order for a king to have her. He said, it's my sister. The king looks out the window and the Bible says he saw Isaac sporting with Rebecca. Whatever that means, we'll save that for next week or maybe the week after. And he said, she is not your sister, she's your wife. I think that's quite powerful because what it says is that actually the relationship that started between strangers became so passionate and so intimate that they couldn't hide it even if they were trying. And when people are in love with each other, they cannot hide it even if they're trying. It'll be visible in the way they look at each other, the way they connect with each other, the way they talk with each other, and the sporting situation. Uh, you know, that, that's not your sister. <laughs> that is definitely not your sister. Okay? <laughs> which, which, which tells you that, 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 a, that a real deep sense of love comes out of the sacrifices of the responsibility and the roles. That if you're clear about your roles and your responsibilities and you enter into it, almost like, um, sorry to use this phrase, business, right? And you're pretty much clear about, this is my role, these are my responsibilities, this is your role, these are your responsibilities. We commit to carrying out our responsibilities and playing our role. That if you actually do that, the end result is that you become so deeply and so passionately in love that it's now impossible to hide. This was the nature of the ancient relationships. It started with the responsibility, not with the emotion of I'm in love. We're in the Western world, we're in the modern world, and we start with I'm in love. Then we try to figure out roles and responsibilities and spend the rest of the time arguing. What started with a white dress, a tuxedo, a, a wedding dance and a wedding cake can end up with dented frying pans. An extreme hate because of all of the shattered expectations. Expectations that had no foundation in any real education around the roles and responsibilities required. <laughs> expectations that have usually come from films and books. So... The wife represented the family business. The concubine represented pleasure. Pleasure. 
Let me just say something about it real quick, because I'm just laying the foundation for where we're going in the series. A concubine, if you start to look up the definition, actually the, the meaning of the word actually means to lie down. Lord help. That's who she is. She's the one who lies down. The concubine. She has more rights and more status than what was called a maid servant. Because there were three levels of women in, the, in this ancient world. There was the wife, there was the concubine, there was the maid servant. The bottom of the hierarchy was the maidservant. The next was the concubine. And the top was the wife. So the concubine never, ever had the status of a wife, the privilege of a wife, the power of a wife. But she, must gi she gives the pleasure, the sexual pleasure, to the, her, her man. I didn't really, you can't call the husband, just her guy. And in exchange, he gives her gifts, a place to live, kind of pays a few bills, get her a Gucci bag, fashion shoes, couple holidays here and there. And she, but she will never, ever occupy the status of the wife. That's what we saw in this reading. Abraham's about to die. He says, I give everything, my entire estate, to Isaac, the son of my wife. To the children of the concubines, I give gifts. And I'm sending you away from my son. Because I don't want him to have your mentality. So the concubine represented pleasure. The wife represented business. And theologically, that's not permitted in this dispensation, correct? Because in this dispensation, you have to have one husband, one wife, right? But that does not destroy the psychology that's revealed which is that a, that a relationship should be comprised of both business and pleasure. So that in one person, help me now, you have got to find both business and pleasure. In this dispensation, one person needs to be able to provide business and pleasure. Because if it's all business, the eyes are going to wander to a place called pleasure. And where the eyes wander, the feet go. So don't be screaming, Bishop, you need to discipline him. You need to cast him out of the church. He's a dog. He's gone off with this person. He's a dog. You need to discipline him. I'm like, okay, before I do that, when last did you have... Before we scandalize him, tell me a bit more about your love life. Because psychologically, no man is designed for all business. I wish the men in here wouldn't leave me hanging psychologically. In fact, the worst thing you could do is leave me hanging because your wife is probably sitting here and she needs to feel your energy right now. There is no man that is designed for pure business.
Don't be coming to me with, with your business hat on. You know, how, you know, especially in the church, especially in the church, you got these people. You got these people that they're like a, they're like a, they're like a spirit. They're like a spirit, you know? It's like, you know, so how do, how, how do you feel about me? Well, I was praying, and the Holy Spirit began to show me your destiny. And I could see in you the gifts and the anointing, the unction of God. And I think together we will change the world and we will... <laughs> to coin a Jamaican phrase, is it? Is it? And you think that's what I that you you think that's what it's all about, right? No, no, no. <laughs> no man is designed for all business, and no woman is designed for all business. No one is. By the same token, if it's all pleasure and there is no business, you are going to collapse, implode, destroy your future. Fail to create the kingdom you were born to create. Fail to build the brand that you were designed to build. And failure to access the resources and the wealth that, that is your portion in this world because you have lived your whole life in pleasure. And pleasure is like pizza. Y'all ain't going to help. You may really, really, really want a pizza. You may smell it. You may see it like I want a pizza. And you'll go in the shop and buy the pizza. You'll eat the pizza. That was wonderful. Now go back tomorrow, buy the pizza. Go back the next day. Go back the next. There will come a day when the sight of pizza makes you sick. So if all you are in pursuit of in life is pleasure, you are going to hop around from one pizza store to the next. You're going to move from pizza to fried chicken to kebab. Every junk food is going to be your portion because you uh, will get sick of this one and move on to the next one and move on to the next one and move on to the next one. And we're going to deal with that in one of these sessions. Can I hear an amen from somebody? So whereas the, the wife represents business, the concubine represents pleasure, in the new covenant, we must find the balance of what is perhaps our most important relationship. The most important relationship, and um, I hesitate to say it's the most important relationship, because yes, I know, the God relationship is the most important relationship, and everything else is great. But when it comes to your love life, your future partnership, there is an even more fundamental psychological relationship and it is a relationship within yourself and it is finding the relationship between the business and the pleasure of this relationship. Because if you can't balance, if you can't, if you can't reconcile business and pleasure, then actually you're going to fail to meet a fundamental psychological need. These were fundamental psychological needs and it is fundamentally human to to need both business and pleasure and if we can't find it in a person there will be inordinate temptation to find it somewhere else leave me hanging at your peril i will come and get you so You had kings, you had queens, you had concubines. So let me say a little something about kings. Shall I? That'd be useful. No man is even looking for a queen who has not come into the consciousness of his kingdom and his kingship. He's not even looking for a queen. He has no kingdom. Yeah. 
Don't force me to use colloquial terms in here because we're an ethnically diverse congregation everyone's not going to understand. <laughs> but you see, we all start out as a kid and then we become kings with higher levels of consciousness. You start out as a kid, and when you are a kid, by the way, that's not an age. That's a level of psychological and spiritual maturity. When you are a kid, you could be 30 years old, you could be 40 years old, but you're a kid. And because you're a kid, you haven't come into the consciousness of your kingship, therefore you're not even looking for a queen, and when a queen stands before you, you do not see a queen, and you are more interested in a gal, that is a... <laughs> you're looking gal, not a queen, because you're a kid. You're a kid. And it can be very frustrating for a woman that falls in love with a kid. With a man that has no vision, no kingdom within him, no aspiration, no direction, no focus, no business. He, has, he doesn't have it. And that's frustrating for a woman because what she's looking, she's trying to get the king out of the kid. And he's still in play mode. He just wants to play. He doesn't want to build. Now you get to the Genesis and you see why God gave Adam a job, a house, and a kingdom before he gave Adam a wife. Because you must be building a kingdom. You must be in the process of establishing a kingdom for you to even want or recognize a queen. If you're playing in the Garden of Eden, then anything will do. But if you are the custodian of the Garden of Eden, the steward of God over the Garden of Eden, and the garden is your kingdom, then what you are looking for is a help, ready for this, meat for you. Which means that if I don't know where I'm going in life and I have no vision of the future, then I cannot, I can only decide what I want based on where I am. The problem is that you're growing and you're going somewhere. So, you, so when you understand that you're growing and you're going some, somewhere, you do not make choices based on where you are. You make choices on, based on where you're going. Uh, because some folks get down, you know, you're financially down, you're just down, you've lost the job, you're, things are not working out for you, and, you're, and men, come on men, men, when things are not working out for you, you, you know, you're like, where, where, where is that black book again, where is that book? <laughs> things are not working out for you, you want to be comforted, and before you know it, you're hooking up with someone that cannot survive where you're actually going. And they, they, they're fitting for this moment where you are, but they are not speaking to where you're going. So God says, Adam, you are a king, and this is your kingdom. Now he can discern what a, a queen looks like as opposed to a concubine. So every man must come into the consciousness of his kingdom, the consciousness of his kingship, and I want to spend a little bit more time on that because I think that there is nothing more tragic in the world than men. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you as a gender right now. Than men with no vision, no focus, no direction, no purpose, no plan, no, no great idea, no magnificent obsession. Because a queen needs you to have that. Isn't that right? Lord help. 
Because if you don't have that, what she psychologically knows is that she will need to be the king in this relationship. And as much as because she has had to fight her way through life, she will act like I'm ready to be the king in this relationship. She does not want to be the king in this relationship because that's not how she's designed. She actually wants a leader. And somebody said, no, 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 Bishop, no, you're not talking about me. I, let me tell you who I'm talking about then. Are you ready for this? The Bible says husbands love your wives. But it never tells a wife to love her husband. God help me now. Trouble, trouble. It tells the husband to love the wife. It never tells the wife to love the husband. It tells the wife to submit yourself to the husband, which is a way of saying respect your husband. And, and see, if you, if you look at this theologically, you're going to miss the psychology that's in it because the psychology of it is simply as follows. That the dominant need for the woman is to be loved to the point that she is the one and only, the most special, the person that you will protect at all costs and lay down your life for her if necessary. That's what she needs to feel from you. And not just hear it, feel it, see it in all of your actions. I am his priority. She needs to feel that. She needs to be loved. But he needs to be respected. And, and for him, the respect issue is as big as the love issue is for you. If you don't respect him, it is the same feeling as he doesn't love you. Because his dominant need is to be respected. So the worst thing you could do is marry someone you do not respect. Because you're absolutely going to frustrate every ounce of manhood out of the individual. You're going to demoralize him. You're going to... You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to quench the fire of his aspiration because no matter who is impressed with him, he needs you to be impressed with him. It doesn't actually matter that other people say well done. It matters that you say well done. It doesn't matter that he has fans. He needs you to be his number one fan. And if you cannot be the number one fan in the life of your man, then we're violating some theology and some psychology because he fundamentally needs to be respected. He doesn't want, he needs. Like you fundamentally need to be loved. You don't just want, you need. That makes sense? This is deep. So, you have to, as a man, live your life in a way that can be respected. And you have to pursue something in life that is respectable. Because what you can't do with your lazy self on the couch, drinking beer, watching TV, and growing into a sack of potatoes is demand respect. Because now you're crossing over into the domestic violence syndrome where you are not respectable, but you are demanding respect. 
Now, if you're not respectable, but still expecting someone to respect you, after a while, you resort to aggression. First of all, aggressive tones and language, and then aggressive maneuvers and actions, and then outright aggression, because you are moving in, the, in this direction of demanding respect, not earning respect. Listen to me now. You have to be worthy of the respect that you desire. Come on now. Worthy of the respect. And you sharpen yourself so that you are focused and you are disciplined. And, and even if you're broke and you don't have a job, you're not sitting in bed. You're getting up and you're going to go find a job. You're going to find some money. You're going to find a way to make things work. You are a determined man. You're a focused man. You're a disciplined man. You are a respect-worthy man. Isn't that right? And God says, I want you there before you find a wife. I want her to find you tending your garden of Eden. That deep? Thank you, sir. But by the same token, you strip out the theology and start to look at the psychology of it. Husbands love your wife. You gotta, you gotta love. So you now, as a woman, are going to have to remember that his love. <laughs> you are going to have to realize that some of these head ties. Some of these things you like to wear around the house is not helping the situation. It's not helping the situation. This is, you know, you, you can't get into the ball and chain syndrome. You know, the ball and chain syndrome is, you know, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Lock. <laughs> No need to fix that hair anymore. No need to do them nails anymore. No need to, to, to wear those. No, no need. <laughs> no need. I got him. I got him locked. And then you start, you know, just, at, just as I am. I'm just keeping it real. This is just me, though, isn't it? This is just how I am. If you don't love me how I am, you know, I woke up like this. You know, the Bible says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. You know what the word cleave actually means? It does mean cling, but it actually is like, a, it's like, a, it's like a, an active verb that means that he will chase her. He will keep on chasing her. And the problem is when people catch, they actually stop chasing. And so one of the things that you have to do is keep on chasing. In other words, what attracted him into your life in the first place? Keep it up, girl. Keep it going. Whatever attracted uh, 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 her into your life, sir, keep it up and keep it going. Don't drop it. Now you've got a ball and a chain on and a handcuff that you're married because it's going to be too embarrassing to split apart now and we got kids so we're not going to split apart. That was 25 years ago. Today people are not going to have it. They're not going to put up with it for that much longer. You are going to have to keep on chasing. Nails, praise God. <laughs> Toenails, praise God. Shape up. Yeah? Just look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, fix up. Just fix up. But of course, it's not just the physical facet of a woman that a man loves. Ultimately, ultimately, when it comes to love, love is an energy and it's a feeling. It's ultimately how someone makes you feel. 
And when a man finds a woman that makes him feel like he can and makes him feel like a giant and makes him feel like he's able, then he loves that about her specifically. And that's why we need a, we need, we need a, a series like this because unfortunately some, not all, probably no one here. <laughs> there are some women that quite frankly is what I would call mandem. <laughs> because you're, you're ready to punch your husband in the face. That's how you argue. And unfortunately, that is not attractive. Arguing, contention, is not attractive to any man. Let's just make it clear. It's not. The book of Proverbs said, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling and contentious woman. That's not theology, that's psychology. He's telling you that in the man's mind, he would rather sleep in the cold, uh, on the roof, <laughs> clinging, clinging onto the chimney, <laughs> than be inside the house with you complaining about everything. Now, he's not going to say that. He's going to say, you know what? I totally forgot. I've got to go out because um, I've got to, uh, yeah, yeah, work. <laughs> you know, I, he just want to get out. Lord, help me now. A man must come into the consciousness of his kingdom and his kingship for him to even be looking in the right direction. And this means that you were born to be the king of a kingdom. Listen to me, man. Oh, man of God, listen to me. You were born to be the king of a kingdom. You are not here accidentally or incidentally. You are here intentionally, strategically, and you are a meaningful part of God's plan for our day. There is something you are here to do. You are meant to preside over a kingdom. That kingdom is your castle. It starts with your house. It extends to your business, your social impact, your level of influence, your achievements, your requirements, and it will ultimately constitute your estate that you're going to pass on. And if you don't have a sense of generational legacy, then all you're interested in is a, is a concubine because that's just paid pleasure. That's what you're interested in. But when you understand that I'm going to need succession in my life, I'm going to need some people that I trust like I trust myself, that I can actually pass on my estate to because I'm building an estate. Is this making sense? You, you have to have a consciousness that you are here to build a brand. That brand is brand you. That is your name. What is your surname, by the way? What is your surname? Everyone shout out your surname. That is your brand, and it is your job to build that brand till it is so powerful that in the next generation, it is Harrods, it is Selfridges. Come on, somebody. It, it is. It is the next big thing. You're going to build it one generation at a time. And when you come into this consciousness that, that the family is my primary business, then actually you are no longer looking for a concubine. You're looking for a queen. By the same token, until a woman grows up and becomes a queen in her mind. Lord, help now. I'm just wondering if the side door is actually open because <laughs> these things. Go. And by the way, I am leaving early. When I finish, I'm leaving straight away. Not because I'm running from you guys because I have another uh, engagement I need to be at. But just watch this. You have to grow into the consciousness that I am no man's concubine. Lord, help me now. Don't, don't, don't be shooting me. I'm protected. You have to grow into a consciousness that says, okay, I can be this person's concubine, 
There's perks. There's benefits. But Genesis 25, 5, and 6 is telling you the truth. That when all is said and done, you get the gifts. The real family gets the estate. You get a bottle of perfume. You get a bracelet. You get a handbag. But the name on that house, help me now, Jesus. The name on that house is not yours. You can concubine for the next 45 years. But when he's dead, the wife and the children are coming for the house. You're unknown. Sorry, you're nobody. That's Genesis 25.5. So you're going to have to grow up and say, hold on a second. Is that my portion? Am I meant to be nobody? Or am I meant to be somebody? Now, is this easier said than done? really is. But you have to decide, I'm going to do it. I'm going to grow out of being a concubine because there's a queen in me trying to come forth. There's a queen in me trying to come forth. <sighs> in the Bible funny, isn't it? <laughs> it's hilarious. It's an amazing book of psychology, really. It's really telling us something about human relationships. So what's my prayer for you today? Do you know what my prayer for us today is? Because we're in a crazy generation. Like, like I'm going I'm to do one of the sermons I'm going to do in this series is called The Economy of Sex. Okay? We'll definitely have Sunday school going on that day. I'm going to do a, a message on the economy of sex. Why in the past a woman put such a high price on sexual intimacy? Do you know what I mean by high price? You ready for the, you ready for the high price? High price was put a ring on my finger, forsake everyone else, Give me legally half of everything you own and will ever own. And now we can have sex. That was a high price, right? Well, what do you think has happened to the price over the years? Now, the price now. Here's the price. Here's the price for someone. This is the price right now. What would you like to drink? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Prosecco? Sure. Uh, two Proseccos, please. Wow. Wow. Is that, is that what you're worth now, two Proseccos? And we're going to have to deal with that. We're going to have to deal with that psychology, that mentality. So my prayer for us is that in this series, your self-esteem will rise to such a powerful level that you will repel certain kinds of people and you will attract certain other kinds of people. And you're going to move into a zone where you know who you are and you love who you are and you respect who you are and you value who you are and you cherish who you are. Because when you do, it becomes very easy to recognize someone that's worthy of you. Now, I am not as naive as to think that one size fits all. What I mean is that there are people that are looking from different perspectives. There's young people who've never been married before. There are people married and divorced. There are people who've been abused in a relationship. There are people who are widows and widowers. There are people coming from different angles and perspectives at this subject. 
And most of what we teach is aimed at young people, whereas most of us are not quite young people anymore. I shouldn't say most of us, I say most of you are not quite young people anymore. But the reality is there are principles that cut across all of those genres. The principle is that you must first respect yourself so much and you must protect God's investment in your life so much and you must believe in your future so much that it becomes easier to recognize the energy that's coming at you. Do you got me? See, a king is going to ask you questions if he's serious. And don't, 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 don't you buy into all kings because it was the kings primarily that had a, a hundred concubines. So you watch some of the, these kings, right? But I said that to say this. Final bombshell I'm going to drop in here right now. Dating is not for mating. Dating is for collecting data. And if you move too quickly into mating, you will fail to collect the necessary data. You're now collecting data after the fact. After the fact, after you are intimately and emotionally involved with someone, you then find out that they like to beat women. You could have found that all out before. You then find out. You then, all this then find out. It's because we got issues and the issues come right down to this thing. I respect me. I need you just to say that with me, maybe under your breath, maybe even by faith. Say, I respect me. Now, everyone up on your feet, please. Hallelujah. Amen. Lift your hands up to the Father. We're going to pray. Now, sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we are praying today that you will operate on our self-esteem, operate on our vision of ourselves, operate on our consciousness. Bring us out of the kid consciousness and into the king consciousness and bring us out of the little girl and into the queen. Lord God, because you have called each and every one of us to establish a kingdom in the earth, to build something that will outlive us, to build a name, a brand, a legacy and we are praying father for grace and strength because it is not easy in our day it's not easy in our day we're just praying for grace for strength for courage for character for fortitude and for deep revelation about who we are and about whose we are and about where we belong and about where we are going so that we hallelujah can glorify you in our lives and in our relationships. And Father, for everyone that is in a meaningful relationship right now, we are praying that the series will impart nutrition, nourishment, uh, edification, instruction, light, so that our steps could be ordered and you could get all the glory. And this we have prayed in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the people said amen and amen. All right, if you enjoyed the first part of this series, give the Lord a great hand clap. And if you didn't enjoy it, give the Lord a great hand clap.
You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.